8.30 a.m. until Thursday at midnight. We were in Mercedes-Benz Stadium getting fed, getting all of that, and it was just an incredible time. And then yesterday, I pretty much just sat down um, and just tried to recover as much as I could, but it was a great time, and so I'm very excited. Um, we're going to have a little video from that next week for you, hopefully, um, just to kind of recap that. But being in the, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium with 55,000 people worshiping Jesus, one of the students looked at me and says, do you think there's any other place on the earth right now that's doing this the way we are? I said, probably not. And we get to be a part of this. And we get to worship Jesus and be a part of this. And it was such a, a, a beautiful moment. And so today, as I was getting ready for this, uh, all the past week or so, I've been trying to figure out exactly where God was leading. And it was funny, I actually went with a coach to go speak to a football team. And we were getting ready, so we were over at Clark Central, and one of my coaches from actually from North Oconee came and delivered the, the, the message for us, and it was all about your identity in Christ, and I love that because any chance I get to talk to middle and high school students, any chance that uh, a lot of our speakers actually recently, whether it's um, this coach, um, Coach David Pollock comes, and that's what he always speaks about, finding your identity in Christ. And a lot of, of pastors right now are just focusing so much on this. And so that this morning is really where I want to focus as well. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. And so if you would, stand, and we're going to read Luke chapter 9, verses 7 through 9. It says this, now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Y'all may be seated. All right, so I'm going to pray, and then we are going to jump into some of this text. If you would, bow your heads with me. Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We just pray that this morning that you would hide me in the shadow of your wings, God, that it's your words we hear, that it's you that we see, and that it's your name that is proclaimed. God, I just pray for understanding, pray for wisdom to pour out through your spirit this morning, and that your word would touch our hearts. And we just thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this What's going on? Jesus has started his ministry. He's going through and he's been doing miracles. And he's been healing. And he's been teaching. He's been going through all this. And Herod, the leader at the time, has caught wind of what's going on. And so he's asking the question, like, who is this guy? Who, who is this guy? And, and he's asking his people. And his people are like, well, I mean, some, some guys say he's Elijah. And some guy says he's John. And Herod's like, no, I beheaded John. It's not him. All right, so it, let, let's keep figuring this out. Let's, who is this guy? And at the time, Jesus was coming on the scene, and people didn't really know what to think of him. Some people were like, oh, man, he's a great healer. Um, here just in a minute, he's about to feed the 5,000, so he's a great provider. Some people thought he was a good teacher. Some people thought he was a prophet, but very few knew him. And I was thinking about this, and how would, how would somebody describe Jesus to somebody else. But Herod didn't even know his name, and I got to thinking about that name. And there's so many different names that we have for Jesus, and they're all incredibly powerful. 
But I thought about just the, the name in general, and so I thought back when, uh, when, when we were pregnant, or when my wife was pregnant with our second, Lucas, she was absolutely convinced he was going to be a girl. It didn't matter what any doctor told her. It didn't matter what the ultrasound showed. She was like, no, nah, he's a girl. And so we get to the hospital, and she is about to have this baby boy, and the baby boy comes out, and she's like, I really thought it was going to be a girl. So we did not have a baby boy name picked out. And so in the hospital, on my bracelet and on his anklet and all the things, it just said, baby boy Brooks, because we did not have a name for him yet. We had a, we had a name for, for a girl, but we didn't have a name for him. And I got to thinking about that, and when we told my oldest son that his name was not going to, in fact, be Lego Batman, that there were actual tears. He was so upset. He thought Lego Batman was the perfect name. But by the time we left the hospital, he had his name Lucas Thomas Brooks. But it got me thinking, if we had named him something else, maybe Lego would have been a little weird, but if we had named him Thomas or if we had named him uh, Paul, if we had named him whatever, it wouldn't have changed who he is. So it got me thinking, then why does it matter so much? Because here in the matter, I mean, his name is Lucas. My oldest son, his name is Jackson. But I call him Jack and I call Lucas Luke. I call him both Bud. I call him both whatever. I played hockey with a guy my entire life, and I never once called him by his first name. I always called him by his last name. And so it got me thinking, is there any power, is there any meaning in a name? And it brought me to this section of Scripture, and it was the same exact section of Scripture this coach from North Oconee taught to these kids at Clark Central the other day. And so I wanted to, to go there, and Herod is asking, he's like, what is this guy's name? And so Jesus actually figures out that this is going on. And so if we were to go into verse 18, so chapter 9, verse 18, it says, now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked him, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say, Elijah and others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Again, if we were to go back and look at John, a lot of these names were given to John himself when, they, when he was coming on the scene. They thought John was Elijah. They thought John was an old prophet. They thought all of these things. And so people are hearing, they're seeing, they're maybe they're coming and experiencing a little bit of it, but they can't quite figure out who he really is. And so Jesus is starting to understand that people don't really understand he was teaching in parables. He was sorting those that would understand and those that wouldn't. He was doing all of these things. He was doing the miracles. He was feeding the people. He was healing the people. But they still didn't understand who he was. None of these people had spent tremendous amounts of time with him. And so he rephrases the question. And this is the question that I want us to, to really take some time on this morning in verse 20. And then he said to them, being his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answers him, the Christ of God. Peter nails it. It's one of the few times early on in Scripture that Peter gets it right. All right? So we, we know that he messes up, but right here he nails it. And this question I love so much because, first off, he doesn't ask, who am I? See, Christ knew exactly who he was. He's not looking to Peter to give him an identity. He had already received his identity back in Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, when God comes down after he is baptized and says, this is my 
Son, whom I've chosen. In verse 22, he says, The Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. No, Jesus knew exactly who he was. He was simply asking, Who do you say that I am? Who am I to you? How would you describe me to someone else? Who am I in your eyes? You see, he wasn't asking him for identity. He was asking him to see the state of Peter's heart. Do you even understand? You've spent all this time with me. Do you understand really and truly who I am? If Peter had said, hey, you're a really good teacher, that would not have changed the fact that Jesus is the Christ. If Peter had said, oh, well, you're a provider. That would not have changed the fact that Jesus is the Christ. No, Peter's answer didn't give Christ any identity. What it did is it showed the identity that Christ has in Peter himself. You see, the name that we call Jesus doesn't change Jesus. There is no amount of praise, there's no amount of power in our words that could ever reach him. We we don't even have words to describe his greatness yet. We can't put that into words, and yet Jesus is asking not to get his identity from Peter, but to understand where Peter's heart is with him. He says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, Christ of God. And right after this, Jesus charges him. He says, all right, hey, look, y'all got that one right. Now, I've got some things I've got to do. I've got to go and die. I've got to go and be suffer. I've got to go and be killed and on the third day. I will rise. And, but I've got to do all of this, so I need y'all to just settle down right here and not be telling everybody that. Let me handle this. But the next time they're in a crowd, the next time he says to everybody, we're going to pick up right here in, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, He says this, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would lose, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if it gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. He says, Peter, you got it right. I am the Christ of God. But I'm going to need you to just settle down. I've got things that I've got to do. Things have got to come to pass the way that are planned. And so in this time, he's like, I just want to make sure that you understand that what calling me Christ does, it does not change anything about Jesus, but it changes everything about you because there is significant cost involved in calling me Christ. And I think sometimes this is where people started to jump off boat. This is where people started to leave when they heard that there was cost associated. Jesus had just fed the 5,000 right before this, and there was absolutely no cost associated with that. They came, they got a free meal. They were like, make this guy king. But here Jesus is like, no, 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 no. If you want to call me Lord, if you want to call me Christ, this is what it will cost. It will cost you everything. Let him deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. Calling Christ Lord does not make him Lord. 
He already is Lord. Whether you realize that or not, he is Lord of all. Calling him Christ makes you a servant. It makes you a sheep. It makes you the follower. It makes you give up everything that you would have for everything that he is. It doesn't change him at all. It changes and transforms you completely. Who do you say I am? And I love this question because it's such a good heart check for us. Because in our prayer lives, I think this, this, this is really where it starts to come out. And my, does my prayer life reflect God as a provider? Am I only coming to God for the things that he gives? Does my prayer life reflect God as a healer? Am I only coming to him with, with needs of healing and needs of these things? And is God in my life, who is he? And your prayer life seems to flush that out because when he is Lord over your life, your prayer life looks a lot different than when he's just a provider. It's not, Lord, I need this. Lord, I need this. Lord, if you could just help me with this. And it turns into, Lord, what do you have for me to do? How can I follow you today? How can I do what you would have for me right now? Who do you say he is? But there's cost involved. You have to lose your life to gain his. That's a big cost. But it's not one that Jesus shied away from. He wanted to make sure right from the get-go. He was like, no, no, no. You need to know that there is cost involved. As a follower, as a servant, you don't get to choose. The, the grunt in the army doesn't get to choose when or not he gets to serve. He follows what he's told to do, and that's the same thing. As a sheep, we don't get to choose where we go. We follow the shepherd. Who do you say he is? And so right from the get-go, he makes sure, hey, there's cost. But what's beautiful is the story that directly follows that. So Peter has called him Christ. Everybody else is still trying to figure it out. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? Who is this guy really? And so Peter gets real, realizes that hey, there's real cost involved. But upon seeing that, we have one of the best stories, I think, in, in this whole book. It, it's called The Transfiguration. And it picks up in verse 28. It says, now about eight days after these sayings, so eight days later after he told, told them what it would cost, told them that, hey, if you want to follow me, it means dying to self. If you want to follow me, it means laying down all of your desires. Now about eight days later, after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and spoken of his departure when he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory, the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. I feel like that was a common theme with Peter. He just kind of talked and it got him in trouble, okay? That, that's, 
I've been there, okay? All right, so verse 34, and he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. So these guys, they're walking up on the mountain, and Jesus is praying, and all of a sudden there's this incredible moment. Peter, John, and James, fast asleep. Fast asleep, all right? That is like one of the things the disciples were really good at. All right, if you needed some prayer time, they were going to sleep. All right, so they're up on this mountain, and all these things is happening, and, and Peter's like, Lord, like, we should just stay up here. I'll make some tents. We're going to have this time. It's going to be great. We don't even know, need to go back down there. Let's just, let's just stay up here. And he didn't even realize what was coming out of his mouth, as he often didn't and as many of us often don't. And there was this cloud that comes rolling over. And it was really neat, as uh, a few months ago I had the opportunity to go to Nepal, and when we were trekking through the mountains, there's this weird thing that happens, and so they're up on this mountain, and the cloud would all of a sudden just roll over you. And they call it getting hung in a cloud, because the cloud would literally get stuck on the mountain. And so you'd be walking, and all of a sudden I wouldn't be able to see Tyler right here on the front row, because there was too much cloud cover. I got a couple of pictures up here of like literally it was so fast. Like it would be like this, and the next thing, like you wouldn't be able to see the guy in front of you. It was crazy how fast it happened, and these clouds would just move up, and they would hang out there for a minute, and then they would continue on. And it was wild. We were trekking down one of these paths, at this, and they would get hung on the mountain like that, and they would just kind of linger, and then they would move on. And I never before experienced it until this. And you would just be sitting in it, and we would just stop, and we would start praying. And you, you wouldn't be able to see the person in front of you, but you could hear them. And it was just this beautiful moment as this cloud would just come over you, and you would just be completely lost to everything else. And so as I was reading this, this story of the transfiguration, that's what came to mind of just everything else is completely blotted out. When this cloud overshadowed them, nobody's seeing anything. You can't see the person in front of you. You can't see the person beside you. And in verse 35, and a voice came out from the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. You see, Jesus, when he was asking these questions, he never once for a moment thought, who am I? He knew exactly who he was. His identity was in God. His identity was from the Father. His identity was not in anything that he had done or would do or had needed to do or needed to say or any of that because from the very beginning of his time to this reminder here, he knew exactly who he was. I am the Son of God and he chose me and he loves me and he believes in me. What we say that he is, when, if you call him a liar, if you call him a fraud, it doesn't change who he is. He is Lord over all. The name that we give to Jesus, the name that we call to Jesus, simply reflects your heart. Do you call him a good teacher? Or are you calling him the word of God? 
Are you calling him a good role model for my family? You know, we want, to get our, we want to get our kids in church. Are you calling him the only way, the truth, the life? Are you calling him your fire insurance? Oh, yeah, I got saved when I was a kid. Now I'm good, and I can just go to church every now and then and be fine. Are you calling him the Savior of your life and allowing him to be Lord over your life for entire of the, for everything, holding nothing back? Who do you say I am? That changes us entirely. And it transforms you completely. And so that's the question that I want to leave you today. Who do you say he is? But I also want to make sure that we understand that there is cost involved. The sheep does not get to tell the shepherd where it's going. Hey, I know you want to get there, but I'd like to take this detour and do all these things, and then I'm going to come back on my own time and in my own way, and I'm going to do this. It's not how sheep work. If we call him Lord, then we are giving him complete reign over our lives. Who do you say he is? Count the cost. Would you pray with me? Father God, we just thank you. We just thank you for this morning that we would be able to be reminded that we are yours. God, that no matter what praise we could bring or no matter what what talk we could give you, God, that it would never compare to what you are. God, that we don't even have words for how incredible you are yet, and God, you chose us. You give us our identity. You choose to transform and use broken people like us for your good, for your glory, and for your plans. God, as we take time this morning to remember what you did for us on the cross and your time and in your plan, God, I pray that we would just be uh, just so attentive to who you are, to what you've done for us. God, as we take time for communion, that we would just say thank you. God, we just pray all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.